for financial transparency and accountability, as well as restorative justice. We will support station staff, paid and unpaid, in their efforts to bring us independent quality radio. For more information, please check out www.savekpfa.org. We ask for your nomination. Thank you. The preceding statement by the candidate does not necessarily reflect the views of the station or its staff. More information about all the candidates can be found at kpfa.org. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, also 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover. Occupy, a reader's theater of perspectives, written by Poet Laureate of Alameda, Mary Rudge. The Occupy movement, with its bold call for justice, born on September 17, 2011, captured the hearts of poets everywhere. They produced and continue to produce Occupy-themed poetry with readings at protests, cultural centers, bookstores, in online journals, at general assemblies, and on these airwaves. On today's radio presentation, Mary Rudge offers us some of the unique 25 poems, each written from the individual viewpoint within the diverse Occupy movement. Different community members, mostly poets, their friends, neighbors, and family, read the poems for you. You'll hear as rich and varied voices as our Bay Area holds. This amazing collection of poems, Occupy, a reader's theater of perspectives, is divided into two parts. Both are available for downloading at kpfa.org for 14 days after their original broadcasts to share with family and friends. www.kpfa.org Part one of this literary cultural delight with an interview with the prolific poet Mary Rudge, author of Occupy, a Reader's Theater of Perspectives, in conversation with me, program producer Nina Serrano. Mary Rudge, Poet Laureate of Alameda, what brought you to write this Reader's Theater piece on Occupy? It was really embedded in my spirit, I think, my mind for for years. I don't think that this happened just because there was an Occupy. I've always felt these poems and I have particularly felt poems that wanted that in which I wanted to speak for people and their various traumas, their various problems, their various hopes and um and their celebrations too. 
So this time, all of these voices, I think, were inside of me, but this time, just I began with one poem. Actually, it was something you said one time, Nina. Uh, the helicopters were coming over your house, and you said you were very occupied with with Occupy. And then a lot of other people kept saying, oh, I'm so occupied with Occupy. And I really wasn't. I've been in so many demonstrations for peace and so many demonstrations for social justice and um, dedicated a lot of years of my life to helping the farm workers for social justice in the fields. So all this has been in there, these voices of people crying out, uh, you know, that they want to have a better world, they want to have economic justice, they want to do good. Somehow, one by one, these voices just began coming out as poems. And then I saw that they weren't really poems as much as a prose poem type of theater. But I don't know anything about theater. <laughs> so I only know about poetry. That, that's my life. So it became a poet's uh, reader's theater. And 25 people stepped forward to be those various voices that you'd been hearing in your head. Yes, they were all people that that actually had their own poetic voices and great poetry of their own. And to think that they would say, oh, I want to read your poem. I will be a part of your reader's theater and read your poem instead of their own, read my poem instead of their own. Uh, that, that was a wonderful gift to me to be able to put this together. And we did it and I was celebrating my birthday, too. And it was right here at KPFA and which I love, and I was really happy that day, and I'm still happy. And what was it like when you actually heard the recordings after hearing these voices in your head and maybe even visualizing the person whose voice it was? What was it like when you heard these particular voices suddenly embodying that character that you could only imagine? Well, they were disembodied. <laughs> For 12 years, I produced television shows, and so I'm used to seeing you know, the color, the form, and everything before my eyes while I hear the voice. I'm really a, more of a visual learner, and I'm learning to be an audio learner and lover since I can't really see very well anymore. But when the voices came to me, I actually did see them as real human beings, real complete people, <laughs> not just voices, but I was amazed that the voices sounded just like the poems that I wanted them to be. So when you heard them, you felt... Uh, you had completed the cycle, now they were live. Right. Right. Much has been said about the Occupy movement, which began on September 17th of 2011. And people didn't know, would it continue, would it go away? Well, Occupy is still here and still evolving. But when you wrote this, uh, that was several months ago, is that right? Yes, I've been working on it for for quite a few months, almost uh, um, almost from the beginning of Occupy. I wanted to be a part of it, and I, my days of walking the streets and carrying a sign, you know, because certain physical problems are, uh, are you know, I've done that for so many years of my life, and now I, I'm, I'd better write about it and document it, put it on paper. But I have absolutely no way of knowing what, Occupy is going to do. No, nobody does. 
We just have to be in everything, in every activity we do. We just have to be in it on the side of hope. And it seems that Occupy does occupy a great deal of hope. I think so. I think one of the most important things that's come out of it is are the teach-ins. They're having teach-ins on the sidewalk and everywhere that are they're teaching people how to be nonviolent in order to be a part of Occupy. And uh, there hasn't been a systematic teaching of how to defuse violence and what are the skills and what are the techniques in our educational system is has has been needed and here we have people just coming out and saying well martin luther king said this and did this and well gandhi said this and did this and and cesar chavez said this and it worked and uh they all of those people to be part of demonstrations had to learn how to be non-violent so the more people that join occupy the more people will learn to be non-violent and that will be a great gift to this country I know that you've also published poetry about the Occupy movement that are um, not necessarily these poems. You've been in two anthologies so far, is that right? Could you tell us about them? That's correct. One came out of New York, and they had 99 poets, and they were from throughout the United States. Quite a few were from the Bay Area. Uh, you're in it, too. Liberty's Vigil. Liberty's Vigil, and that was quite wonderful. And then one came out here on the West Coast, so primarily uh, very, very active, very prominent, outspoken Bay Area people and uh, activists, social activists. You're in it, too. <laughs> so so uh, uh, I think that then my, my little book is called Occupy a Reader's Theater, uh, Perspectives in the Occupy Movement and and I hope to get that published with a recording in it of the uh, of the production of it as theater. Well, it's been an honor for us at KPFA to be able to be recording and editing all the members of the poetry community that have come forward to support Mary's work, Occupy Reader's Theater. Thank you so much, Mary Rudge, Poet Laureate of Alameda. dedicate this work to Raymond Zack. Raymond Zack was depressed because the government cut his employment funds. He walked out into the bay off the Alameda shore and even holding up his hands in the universal sign of I surrender and help. And with a rosary in one hand, stood there until he died of hypothermia as the police, the firemen, the coast guard, Families picnicking on the beach, windsurfers all went by or just went on doing their thing or, in the case of the firemen and police, watched him. And when he was dead and floated in the water, an unidentified woman went out and pulled him to shore and no one was responsible. Because Raymond Zach, employment was caring for other people who couldn't care for themselves, he was depressed because he wouldn't be able to care for those that he was caring for, as well as for himself. Nobody called out and said, come back, we want to help you. Nobody called out at all. He was just one of the occupants 
but because it was very close to home, I live in Alameda. My children grew up running and playing on the shore there, and that was part of our happy life. I just can't get that out of my mind. I dedicate this work to Raymond Zach. Going up on Occupy Readers Theater by Mary Rudge, Alameda Poet Laureate. Picture the Northern California Oakland winter sun shining on the encampment of makeshift tents, banners, and signs around the City Hall Plaza, renamed Oscar Grant Jr. Plaza by the community for the young African American victim of a police shooting. A skeptic participant views the scene. The skeptic. Do you think the movie star in the million-dollar on-location trailer with the crack line on the dresser cares? Do you think the rock star with the big rock diamonds and transparent underwear cares? Do you think the sports star that you cheer for with the ultra-speed top sports car and multi-million-dollar contract in his pocket and the multi-million-dollar lawyer in his pocket to tell the court there were no steroids cares? Do you think the mayor struggling to meet services, keep schools open, libraries and parks and more with millions cut from the state on down will join you to occupy? Do you who block small business line sidewalks, think that anyone will shoot another young man or child in Oakland, even if the 1% gave it all up, would change? Occupy the street if this is your passion to be nonviolent. Someone who uses a gun will still shoot someone on the street in your midst before your eyes. Tell me. If all the people from all the churches came out on the corners and sang and prayed, would there be one less killer in the statistics of the killers? Or that even one of the 1% would change? Pepper spray. I was 19 when the pepper spray filled my throat, when the police turned the can to my face and aimed at my eyes. In the hospital, they said, sometimes the retina damage is permanent. They said damage to lungs and sinuses, to throat membranes and other organs may return to show again far in the future. I have returned to sit here again, linked arms with the sophomores and freshmen, the independents, the 4.0 girls, offbeat fraternity boys, some psych and law and social studies majors, and other students who will have professions and start their businesses, but always be part of the 99%. I understand about collateral damage. I am here because I want an education, yet at times I wonder if I should leave. I talk to some who graduated some years past, but still owe debt. Some haven't found jobs, yet when I write home, my dad says, stay. You must. Dad says he'll find a second job, too, and send money. I don't know if he should. He looks so tired. I don't know if he can, but if a job is there, he'll find it. He says, education is the key. I came here to study and learn. Now I sit on the sidewalk and occupy. I cannot pay the college fees. I am $600 in debt from student loans. I know a graduate who still has 20000 debt from student loans. Been paying back for eight years and is 32 years old and still in debt. I am 19. I only wanted an education. Sit on the sidewalk. 
it would be equally essential and valid and wise to sleep in the streets to protest rape as a weapon of war, to protest all violence against women, violence against anyone, war violence. I would be equally as filled with passion, see it an equally important cause. For how many years? For how many years volunteers have plucked the grass between the crosses on the hillside in Lafayette, California, that each marks the death of an American soldier who died in Iraq? It is valid to protest war anywhere. Have you seen the diagram pie showing the percent of the national budget spent on the Pentagon? The bus rider. The occupation disrupts the buses that the poor ride to the food banks and clinics, yet they must get there. The working poor with low-paying jobs, the workers, others, unable to drive, they will be rerouted. They will be late for their jobs. They will be let out to walk far to the next bus that they must transfer to. The bus won't be able to get through the crowds. I will not be there at the time I must pick up my child from daycare. The buses have been rerouted. The people with walkers and wheelchairs must find the bus they must transfer to. The transfer now is long away. They have no cars. There are things they must carry. Some cannot walk so far in the rain, in the cold. They are too ill or too old. It is hard enough to pay the bus fare. Yes, I know you are trying to help me. On the news tonight, newscaster. First, because so many adore film stars, comes news that now trailers the size of manor homes and bigger than motels and costing millions will be provided for each star on location. Not old trailers. These new ones, almost too towering and too long on the freeways, and inside are every kind of digital invention for convenience of the star we love. Occupant, aren't we happy? Standing at the food bank. Now they are well-treated, even though the newscaster said they still compete against each other. Each wants biggest and best for status until returning to their mansions or to various resorts. Next is news of a sports star kidnapped, because that is where the money is. Kidnappers know. Aren't we lucky? Standing with our friends in the unemployment line where kidnappers don't go. Next is follow-up of, for years, cover-up of molestation of little boys by someone valued by a college team. Perhaps it's just as well our child drops school. No money for books and clothes and bus fare. Then the newspeople want most to see music icons luxury. Lineup of a late pop stars, 12 cars, gold adorned, another's personal museum room of running model trains, fake tunnels, trees and homes. They're worth their millions because they entertain us. And today, multi-million dollar catamarans race on the bay. Such fun to see the rich at play. Mire of our culture's golden calves. So much for news of the haves. I'm struggling to pay for electricity, to watch TV. The TV watcher. I am not there, but it is my dedication to see the same TV news broadcast many times. I watch. What are they doing now? We'll do next. But the same scenes we play over and over. Three o'clock, six o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock news. I watch. Will the president speak? The mayor act? More people come. 
Like me, you have not been the living graveyard, living in the streets under a sheet. Like me, you too have not held hands around the lake, praying for peace, stood with a lit candle at the BART station at specified times, handing out leaflets about war. So people knew Afghanistan, Iraq, the people starving in Sudan for years, the people hungry and homeless on American streets. More than 10 years now, less real to our eyes than the reality game shows we see in this era of spectators who watch and know but do not act. You too, like me, could not be there, but are watching for change. Everyone may not be able to occupy in this protest. Still, I think there may be some importance that someone see, bear witness, watch TV. A political optimist speaks. Will you write the congressman who's going to vote away your Social Security and who knows there is no health plan? The reporter I quoted the candidate saying people have power. Your vote is what counts. To elect who will be accountable to you. Thousands of little votes to win. But when the politician got in, those who gave millions for his campaign are who he responded to. And after all, the voters didn't count. The unemployed artist. Hmm. The president of the art college said, In any given year, there are 25,000 art majors in the Bay Area. And not all will get work in design or even to teach. Some of you will wait tables and do more menial jobs to support your art. Yet, you will always be glad for what you learned about art here. It is said creativity is the world's important resource. I see how there can be beauty. I'm designing in my mind this better, fair, and just society. Even as I stand in this unemployment line. Two women in an orange tent. First woman. They were arrested, beaten, kicked, stripped, put into jail clothes. Some with wrists chained to cell bars. Some with tubes forced down their throats when they fasted to resist. Let lie in their own vomit. Given no water. For carrying signs asking to vote. It was 1920 when women won the right, so women today might use it. Second woman. It is that pain of the suffragettes that sustains and keeps me here in spite of my fear. The freedom riders were taken by hundreds to the USA's worst prison of violence, of cruel, hard labor that generated hate. And they turned it all around. Nonviolence, compassion, they won their cause. It is that vision that keeps me here in spite of my fear. They brought out the riot squads, police dogs, billy clubs, tear gas against the students on Telegraph Avenue, Berkeley, who rallied for free speech. They won, and that passion sustains me. It is that history that keeps me here in spite of my fear. The students were shot and killed at Kent State. Another demonstration for peace. It is that wisdom, that urgency for peace as a way that keeps me here in spite of my fear. Four policemen. First policeman. We drugged them by arm and hair across the square with orders to evict. We clubbed and kicked, killed one by taser gun. Sixteen of us fired as one. I felt sick when I saw his face. He looked 17. We booked 300. 
A few I knew as homeless had already done time for the crime of sleeping on sidewalks. I saw how those were wasting away. Maybe hadn't eaten that day either. They'd eaten jail. Don't think their supporters can raise the bail. I'd arrested that priest at least 14 times in other demonstrations. What kind of church lets its leader be arrested and crucified? I never did understand religion. Radicals that think they're beyond the law. No respect for me and the duty I have to do. I joined the force from the highest of values. I knew I was courageous and could protect people from those who stole and committed other abuses. I never thought of such things as occupy or that I would be aligned against victims. Second policeman, the rookie. I don't want to see no more dead kids. I want to clear out the dealers, drive-by shooters, the crime. I got a son myself and I'm barely 30. Who knows what cause will come in his day? I know how my dad in Vietnam, I didn't join no army to beat and kill. Now the Occupy is taking up our time. These people are not invaders. They're friends and neighbors in a peaceful act. They're trying to do right. I'm on their side. There's a face that haunts me. The woman I tell to move along when she's resting on bus benches, sheltering in doorways. She said her home was foreclosed and she lost her job. Lost everything but hope. She said she would be warmer and fed in jail and even get needed medical care. Lately, I saw her among the tents and cookouts of those who occupy. They say it's people like her they care for. Still, if my job is to make them move along, even beat them up to move them out, I'll do my job. Proud, even though I know it's a dirty shame. And I won't want to see her face. Third policeman, long-timer on the force. I'd like there to be an end to violence, even so though it keeps me employed. I'm just holding on to get my pension, then I'll travel, make some hunting expeditions, get a trophy for my wall, once I saw myself a Hemingway, to write a book about it all. But elephants and rhinos and such gonna be extinct, won't be none for me. Tough. I'd like to shoot big game. Guess I'll just fish, go meet exotic descendants of people we used to kill in old wars and hardly understand. Still, I don't recall issues, wars we got in, just that real men have got to have something to win. Fourth policeman. These occupants want to win. I don't care if they do. I get good overtime. If they don't cease, still steady income. If more money comes through, hell. I'm part of the 99% I'm making money off of. Still got to clear them and their tents off the public square ordered to fix order. City employees and shoppers bring their coffee and sandwiches there, and like all trickle-down economy, the pigeons come feed off the crumbs. The homeless check the garbage for bottles, cans, and crusts. With luck, they too will make a buck. To do that kind of dirty work takes pluck or desperation. I'm no philosopher, but as they say, some have got to do the dirty work. So goes the nation. On the news tonight... Now to a close-up zoom of the newscaster, as she says. What is their plan? They occupy. Then what? No one knows. So the woman who knows the news said, and so signed off. You think this is the end? Watch us begin.
can move her wings in Cuba and cause a tornado in You just heard part one of Occupy, a reader's theater of perspectives, written by poet laureate of Alameda, Mary Rudge. Part two will be broadcast next week at this time. The poems in part one were read in order of appearance by Deborah James, announcer, Dan Bradley, the skeptic, Anais Asul, pepper spray, Florence Miller, set on the sidewalk, Ishtar Lotus, the bus rider, Adele and Jack Foley on the news tonight, Marjorie Lynn Wagner, the TV watcher, Joseph Estrada, the political optimist, Libby Rock. Pulitzer Prize winner David K. Johnston, president of investigative reporters and editors, has written three infuriating books revealing exactly how corporations collude with our government to continually swindle us. His new book is The Fine Print, How Big Companies Use Plain English to Rob You Blind. Greg Pallas says if you suspected all along that the system favors the rich, you're going to be shocked to learn just how badly you're being screwed. David K. Johnston, often on MSNBC, will be in Berkeley on Tuesday evening, November 27th, First Congregational Church of Berkeley, 2345 Channing Way. I'm Bonnie Faulkner, producer of Guns and Butter. I'll be hosting, and I'm excited to be inviting you to join us. Advance tickets, $12, through brownpapertickets.com and supporting bookstores. 15 at the door, wheelchair access. Full info at kpfa.org slash events. For November 27th, a Tuesday evening, with the shocking, brain-frying David K. Johnston.